when we talk about metabolism, it's really important to start understanding that light is the primary timekeeper of our metabolism and light energy from the sun acts to improve the function of our cellular engines, our mitochondria, so that they can burn through food. So not only is light the timekeeper of our metabolism, it's also the power source with which we use, which we use to burn through food essentially. Hey guys, welcome back to the Digest This Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Cameron, and today's episode is quite different than many others, and I absolutely loved it. Matt Maruka, he is on the show today, and he is the founder and CEO of Raw Optics, which is a blue blocking eyeglass company. He's here today to talk about the benefits of light and how light can truly help improve our metabolism, digestion, and overall health. We dive deep into if sunscreen is harmful, if the sun truly does cause cancer, if diet plays a part of how we actually absorb the sun, what we should be doing each morning, and even sunbathing our genitals, plus so much more. But before we get into today's episode, shout out to podcast listener, Nancy Fuji. She titles her review, The Gut Queen, and she wrote, Bethany has been my biggest support system going through leaky gut. She tackles every topic that my doctor and I discuss and everything she discusses meshes into the advice I'm given. So happy I came across her. Well, thank you so much, Nancy Fuji, for that wonderful rating and review. And as always, I always appreciate reading all of your reviews and it helps the show grow. So if you feel so inclined to help support me and this podcast, just giving it a rating and review will truly do so and it costs you nothing and it takes like two seconds. So always appreciate that and love hearing from you guys. If you guys haven't heard, I just came out with a strawberry flavor to add to my line of digestive support protein powder. This new flavor has actually been in the works for two years. I know, two years seems like quite a long time to develop just one flavor of protein powder. But with the elements of 2021 still in, quote, recovery mode from the pandemic, as well as finding the right ingredients to create such a robust strawberry flavor without any natural flavorings, artificial sweeteners, as well as the natural pink color, took trial and error over a long period of time. And since I am very picky about every ingredient that goes into any product with my name on it, I had to make sure every ingredient didn't have a sub-ingredient, as many other protein powders do. And it's not required to be on the label, believe it or not. That's right. It's actually not required by law that you don't you don't have to list sub-ingredients in a single ingredient. So like many freeze-dried and dehydrated fruit powders actually contain a carrier such as maltodextrin or dextrose, which are sugars. Companies add this ingredient to prevent clumping of the powder and keep it, quote, free flowing. We had to do some digging to find a company that supplied pure strawberry powder, which makes up the flavor of the protein. No natural flavors in there, you guys. And pure beet 
powder, which actually gives the, the protein powder a pink hue. The strawberry powder just didn't give any pink color at all, surprisingly, when we tested it over and over. Guys, we went through countless variations, ratios of ingredients to balance out the flavor and sweetness without making it too sweet. So much went into this new digestive support strawberry protein, Uh, but we finally got it, you guys. We finally got it and it's now available for you to try yourself and add to the collection of my vanilla and cacao digestive support protein. So grab a tub or two before it sells out as we only have a limited supply. The reason we only have a limited supply is, well, it's top secret as of now, which I will announce in my weekly newsletters. By the way, if you're not subscribed, that is the way you will find out about all new products I am developing. So be sure you do so by going to lilsipper.com slash subscribe. That's L-I-L-S-I-P-P-E-R dot com slash subscribe to sign up for my newsletters and be in the know. So if you guys want the new strawberry flavor, head on over to newzest-usa.com slash digest to grab my new strawberry protein powder before it sells out. I know you're going to love it. That's newzest-usa.com slash digest. I'll also put that link in today's show notes so you can head on over there and check it out with one simple click. If you're not subscribed to my newsletters, they come out every Friday and they're called Friday Finds. This is information that only my subscribers get in their inbox. I share stuff like non-toxic air fryers and kitchen appliances, new food finds, product recalls, food news, and food products that aren't even on the market yet. But I've got the scoop. This is not published anywhere else and cannot be found on my blog. So be sure you're in the know and subscribe to my weekly newsletters by going to littlesipper.com slash subscribe and enter your email. That's all you have to do. So go to com forward slash subscribe to get exclusive information on everything food. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the show today. You have quite the story. Obviously, we're going to be talking about light, but can you just introduce yourself real quickly and then also share with uh, my listeners about what health issues you battled? Because I know you battled with you know, gut issues, allergies, um, headaches, and what actually helped you resolve those issues, which is crazy because not a lot of people think about this particular thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my name is Matt Maruka. I'm from Philadelphia originally. I got into health and wellness because I had tried a lot of, well, I had, yeah, I tried Western medicine. I tried naturopathy uh, in order to resolve some issues as a kid, kind of under the help of my mother at the time, because I had, I was maybe 10 years old. So uh, I I started trying diets on my own. I did my own research on the internet. I went and looked at at, what was available. And one of the biggest light bulb moments for me was when I came across the term epigenetics uh, within the context of the paleo diet. 
And I thought, wow, that's really cool. We're capable of modifying our genetic expression simply by changing certain factors in our environment or lifestyle. And I thought that's amazing. If that's true, which the research is pretty clear and it's only getting clearer, what it essentially means is that we're all capable of expanding our human potential far beyond what we've ever imagined. And I thought that that was a really interesting idea. And so I dove really deep into the world of diet and food. And I did the paleo diet, the autoimmune diet, the FODMAP diet, the GAPS diet, the keto diet, the carnivore diet, you name it. Uh, and I may have tried it. Uh, and so I, I saw some results, but I ended up, as I think many people do, in a bit of a super obsessive food focused mindset, just trying to absolutely uh, control every single aspect of the food I was consuming, which of course that has nothing to do with the paleolithic diet and the, in the, in the true paleolithic diet, you didn't choose what you ate. You got what you got and otherwise you starved. Right? So true. If people really want to be purists, you wouldn't be so crazy about your food. If it's a calorie, it's a calorie. You can consume it. Now I get the argument. We don't want to eat modern refined foods. Um, but to a certain extent, our bodies are supposed to be resilient against all sorts of different toxins and all sorts of different influences, right? And our bodies can become afflicted in certain ways and our bodies constantly naturally heal. They go through healing processes. Um, so anyway, I got really interested in light and how it affects our health. Um, that's kind of the subject of the conversation today. I started reading some different articles coming across bloggers and research explaining how the light that we're exposed to controls how our metabolism works. It controls how our circadian rhythm works. It controls how we process food. And so that if we're eating a perfect diet, but we're exposed to harmful light sources, then our body may not be functioning optimally irrespective of our diet. In other words, there's more to health than diet alone, uh, which I didn't even realize because I was following experts who said that food was the be all end all essentially and nutrition was the be all end all. And I thought eventually as I learned more about light, how it influences our cellular engines, our mitochondria, which generate energy from our fuel, I started to get really interested in the body's innate capacity to heal and why some people could eat whatever they want and really not have any issues. And other people, you know, have a blueberry and their immune system flares up because they're on a super obsessive autoimmune protocol. And I started to ask the question and wonder even more recently whether those people who are in those uh, extremely obsessive controlling diets aren't actually creating their sickness through the obsession. And I actually came to think that I probably was doing that myself when I finally started uh, identifying like, oh, I'm sick and I'm sick because of this and that. So there's a, it, it goes pretty much as deep as we want to go. But uh, I think we could start touching on, you know, light and why it's relevant or whatever interests you. Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, you have such an amazing story. And I, I mean, it, you do, it is true that you, when we start putting a label on ourselves, we're we're almost like claiming that on us and then it's it's even more difficult to heal because we say oh we have this or we're we're that this is just me you know but you did you did say something about your metabolism and uh how light really does affect the metabolism and can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit yeah yeah absolutely so well uh i i like to start from the foundation as much as possible so when we're talking about metabolism, it's good to touch on really what is the metabolism. And the metabolism, according to standard biology, is based. And anybody who learned, you know, took standard high school biology 
learned this at some point or another, but the metabolism is basically the process uh, in which the body takes in certain uh, substrates, chemicals, nutrients, and so on, does certain things with them, breaks them down, makes them useful, and then excretes them. So the metabolism is intake, use, and excretion, essentially. So it's quite broad. You know, metabolism can involve everything from the food we're consuming. It involves oxygen we consume, uh, minerals, vitamins, uh, you know, light in 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 effect. Uh, so there's a lot within the concept of metabolism. And we could go as far as saying that our metabolism is in some way the, the foundation of our existence in some in some sense, because in order to live, we need energy and all of our energy is produced in the process of metabolism or metabolizing things, uh, whether food or light, et cetera. So anyway, uh, it's important for people to understand, okay, well, what, you know, because people think metabolism, well, they think, okay, like that's how fast I burn through food. Well, yeah, kind of, but there's more to it, right? So basically with that now um, covered, light is the primary energy source responsible for all life on earth. So um, just to go straight to it. So in order for us to have a metabolism, uh, we have to be alive and and existing. And all life exists because we have energy bringing us to life. So without energy, we would be no different than the sand on the beach or the dirt on the ground. We would be inanimate. We would be dead, essentially. We wouldn't have necessarily come to life in the first place. So the the whole any discussion when we get into life and metabolism and health it helps to first define life, right? And so life is just matter brought to life by energy. And that energy is is light from the sun in particular. So the reason I, I share that is because, Bethany, that uh, for, if people go straight to the, the foundation, they can understand, wow, our entire conversation, <laughs> the existence of, of the conversation and the existence of, of both of us is actually predicated on sunlight. Like Without sunlight and other factors as well, life wouldn't exist. Right. So it's really, really foundational. And so people, when people start getting in, and this is a tangent, but people get into like, oh, the sun causes cancer and this and that. We could talk about that later. But, you know, people forget that their existence, the, their own ability to even ask that question is dependent on sunlight. If the sun didn't exist, they wouldn't exist to ask that question. As far as we know, according to, you know, all modern science of biology, it's the basic stuff. Photosynthesis produces all life. Now, anyway, getting to your question about metabolism. So within the existence of life, there are, life is sort of a, let's say a chemical, you could say a physiochemical reaction. There's lots of different opinions when you look at the, the basic biology and really what is life. There's all sorts of different opinions, but essentially there's some sort of reactions occurring and we're sort of a contained system, right? And we have certain things occurring within us. And then there's certain things occurring in our environment. And as a living organism, it would be a really good idea to sync the functions of our internal environment with the external environment because there's changes occurring in that outer environment that affect our internal environment. So it'd be good to be able to understand what's going on and to predict. So for example, the number one shift in the regular external environment is the day, uh, the 24-hour cycle in which the Earth spins around its own axis. And part of that time the surface of the earth is exposed to the direct rays of the sun. And then the other part, it's in the shadow of, of itself. The earth's surface is in the earth's shadow. And so therefore there's no light. And so it's dark, it's colder. There's less energy, for example, for plants. And, and plants, we can see some plants open in the morning and close at night. And they have all sorts of adaptations to changing light. Well, we have the same thing. So when we talk about metabolism, I like to just start here. 
the entire activity of our metabolism, the human metabolism, so speaking specifically about humans now, is controlled by light. It's controlled by the circadian rhythm. So the activity of our metabolism follows the circadian rhythm. How can we know that? Well, our metabolism is most active when we're awake, especially in the middle of the day, and it's the least active when we're asleep because we're sleeping. There's still some activity, there's some repair going on, but not in the sense of digestion, breaking apart food, et cetera, more like cellular repair. So it's actually, it's quite different. So when we talk about metabolism, it's really important to start understanding that light is the primary timekeeper of our metabolism and light energy from the sun acts to improve the function of our cellular engines, our mitochondria, so that they can burn through food. So not only is light the timekeeper of our metabolism, it's also the power source with which we use, which we use to burn through food, essentially. So would you say that someone with a metabolic syndrome or they say, oh, I have a slow metabolism, would you recommend that they look into light therapy and things like that to really kind of get their metabolism back on track? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it's not that that light is the, you know, be all end all the the thing that will solve everyone's problems in a way, actually, it is sort of the, it is sort of the be all end all when it comes to the existence of life. But as far as somebody's issues, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, light's going to solve all your problems. Uh, it it can, in a lot of cases when applied diligently and correctly, and, and it has in many cases for many people, I've gained many benefits uh, from the use of sunlight and other forms of light therapy, light management, avoiding certain types of light. So I would definitely say one, one thing that I can pretty accurately claim based on the existing evidence uh, is that anyone who is really deficient in sunlight, which is most people, which are most people, will benefit from getting more sunlight. And a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time people will have certain health issues that could be purely the result of a lack of sunlight exposure. And just changing that could, for a lot of people, improve their condition significantly. Because again, if we understand that not only does the sun make vitamin D, that's kind of a key thing to take apart, let's say. The sun helps our body or really allows our body to synthesize a vitamin D from cholesterol. It provides this UVB energy, which allows that, that uh, photochemical conversion to occur, right? Now, that's just one of billions of chemicals in the body. Now, I actually don't know the exact number of unique chemicals in biochemistry, just putting that out there. Uh, I should. But basically, the every single biomolecule, every single atom and molecule, first of all, in the universe absorbs and emits different wavelengths of light. That's the basic principles of, of all physics and chemistry is that atoms and molecules absorb light and re-emit it. And that's basically how all chemistry occurs is when certain molecules bind together, they release certain or absorb certain wavelengths of light. And, and essentially in life, it's no different. So every single molecule in our body absorbs and re-emits certain wavelengths of light. And we can actually say then that vitamin D isn't the only chemical that is light activated in the body. In fact, virtually every single chemical in the body is affected by light. The sun is kind of, we can think of it loosely like this, that the sun is kind of like a, a painter uh, with his palette of colors uh, or her palette of colors, and that the human or the earth is like the canvas on which those colors can be brushed. And we are composed of a lot of different 
atoms and molecules, which happen to be stimulated by the wavelengths of light generated by the sun. And the sunlight essentially brings us to life. The reason I'm sharing this in regards to your question is that if some if somebody just thinks, oh, the sun just makes vitamin D, well, then I could just take vitamin D or I could just go to a tanning bed and just get the specific wavelengths. Well, tanning beds don't actually produce vitamin D, but I could go to a, depending on the tanning bed, but I could get a, a light box that puts off UVB light that will that will help me make more vitamin D. And essentially, then they'll think, oh, I got everything I needed from the sun, but then they're missing the, for example, the red and near infrared wavelengths of sunlight, which are critical for activating and stimulating water in our cells and improving mitochondrial health, for example, right? So the point being here that uh, if we, if people start to consider and realize that, that the, the light of the sun, the energy produced by the sun has shaped all of evolution of life and that we have so many functions in our body that are still directed by the light of the sun, then it makes, it makes a lot of sense that if, if you're never getting outside, you're never getting sun on your eyes or your skin, that you're going to have certain issues in the same way that if you were lacking certain nutrients, a very similar way, if you're lacking certain nutrients, you're going to have certain issues. You're going to have issues related to those nutrient deficiencies. Yeah. Well, this is so interesting. And I I know too that uh, I want to dig into the digestive system a little bit as well, because as I know, you did suffer with some gut issues and they are thankfully resolved and you seem to be doing amazing. And so can you share a bit about what you did with light to help with your gut issues and how one could also use light to help with their gut issues? Yes, absolutely. So um, there were a lot of things I did, but the things that had the most impact for me in improving my overall health, energy levels, mind, uh, cognition, et cetera, were basically getting out. And, and this is not just for gut issues, but for essentially across the board, best practices for using light and sunlight to improve health. So one thing is getting out and getting morning sunlight. Morning sunlight, especially right when it comes over the horizon within the first 10 or 15 minutes, ideally, is what sets our body's circadian rhythm. So no matter where I am, uh, what I'm doing, when the sun's coming up, I go outside. And if I can't get a clear view of the horizon, I'll at least look at the sky or look towards the east to let that light stimulate my circadian rhythm. And 10, 15 minutes is enough. Even five minutes is better than nothing. Now, the cool thing is that it's no longer just me saying this or some of the other kind of people in certain different health and wellness niches. Um, we have people like Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's one of the top, uh, he's a leading neuroscientist at Stanford. He has a podcast, successful podcast with uh, you know over, I believe, 4 million Instagram followers and whatnot. He's become very successful and, and, and popular. And one of his main things that he speaks about on a regular basis uh, is that light, is absolutely critical for setting our circadian rhythm and our health. So it's, it's even though the science has already been solid for many, many years since I first started speaking about this in 2018 or so, uh, now we have mainstream researchers who are kind of popularizing this and bringing it even more into the mainstream, which I, I think is really promising, right? So everyone can benefit from improving their circadian rhythm. You know, gut cells are turning over. One of the things that fascinated me when I started learning about light is that gut cells turn over every 
48 hours or so. So if we, and, and that's faster than almost any other cell in the body. So if we have a circadian mismatch, this was, this was what I was reading when I was uh, 16 years old, learning about this information. Um, and basically if, if we have a circadian mismatch, it, it makes sense that the gut is going to be one of the first affected areas because the cells are turning over so frequently. If we start getting, uh, you know, disrupting our own rhythm, that'll create issues. And okay. And it also, if someone's thinking, oh, well, I'll just use artificial light in my house and wake up that way. No, you have to actually go outside and get the sun's light, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be like, uh, I mean, the, a, a good way to put that would be like saying, you know, oh, I'm going to try to get, um, you know, the benefits of an orange with vitamin C and all this. Oh, I'll just take refined sugar instead. That's like basically the same, right? And and then you say, well, whoa, whoa, whoa refined sugar and an orange. Yeah, they both have sugar, but they're totally different, right? And that's essentially a simple way to explain the difference between sunlight. It's it's very I just thought of the analogy off the top of my head. It's 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 a bit simple, but it gets the point across like the two are are totally different. Yeah, like artificial light sources will have generally some blue light which will stimulate the brain, but they're going to be missing all of the red and for the most part red and especially near infrared wavelengths which are critical for retinal health. Uh, in, in particular, skin health and a variety of other functions, mitochondrial health, energy production, based on the really, really strong research. Uh, now there's hundreds, maybe even thousands of studies at this point on the effects of, of red light and infrared light on metabolic health. So just to continue that point, some of the other things that people could consider doing to improve their health uh, with light would be actually sunbathing. So getting the morning sunlight but then actually practicing sunbathing. And this is a, you know, an entire po uh, podcast in and of itself, just because there's so many factors when we consider sunbathing, there is, there is the time of year, the time of day, you know, so in the summer, the sun's stronger in the winter, it's weaker time of day. It's stronger in the middle of the day. And it's, it's a weaker, uh, there's less ultraviolet light when it is, uh, you know, in the morning versus there's more in the middle of the day. Uh, there's the atmospheric conditions, cloud cover, rain, et cetera. The also moisture in the air, elevation, how high you are off the earth or at sea level, because the higher up you go, the stronger the sun is, even if it's winter. Um, so there's so many different factors. And then there's the personal factors, like did you just eat a meal or are you in a fasted state? Based on my experience, uh, I'm not familiar with a ton of research on the subject, although there probably is some that I'm that I just don't know about yet. But um that I personally have always found that I feel better sunbathing when I'm in a fasted state or or not full, right? It makes sense because when we sunbathe, a large effect is that blood is going to the surface to actually be irradiated and absorb the light. We're like plants. Our blood actually goes to the surface when we get in the sun to absorb the light energy. Uh, and that's that happens with the release of nitric oxide, which is stimulated by the light we're exposed to, specifically ultraviolet A. Multiple studies point to a link between dehydration and a higher risk of anxiety and depression. And if you have low levels of electrolytes, it can cause anxiety or panic-like symptoms. Some of the most common causes of electrolyte imbalance are due to fluid loss. Adding electrolytes is a great way to replenish and rebalance your body, mind, and mood. However, most electrolyte drink mixes contain added gums, sugars, 
colors, and even added oils. I'm really picky about what goes into my body. So that's why I choose Elements Raw Unflavored Electrolyte Mix. Elements Unflavored Version contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of salt, magnesium, and potassium. Those three simple ingredients are in their raw unflavored packs. So whether you just finished a workout, sauna session, or just need to hydrate for your mental health. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for those following a keto, low-carb, vegan, or paleo diet. And right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. Element also has a no questions asked refund policy. So if you try it, don't like it, they will give you your money back guaranteed, no questions asked. So you have nothing to lose. Just go to drinklmnt.com slash digest to get this amazing offer. Well, that's so interesting. I feel the same when I sunbathe on a fasted state or haven't had a meal in a few hours. I feel so much better as opposed to, oh, I just had a snack. I'm going to go sunbathe. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense because the, again, the blood should be in the gut, not going to the skin when we just ate. Just like we know if you just ate a huge meal and then you went and worked out, you might feel kind of bad after because all of a sudden your food's not digesting because you're putting all of your blood in your muscles or not all, but much. Right. So it's it's a pretty basic, but people considering that there are a lot of different factors, I would generally say like 10 to 15 minutes per day of sunbathing is a really healthy place for people to start. Uh, you know, ten, uh, five to 10 minutes on each side of the body sometime in the late morning or early afternoon. Uh, midday is when there's the most ultraviolet and people could sunbathe in midday uh, if they want the most UVB with the least overall sun exposure, if they're worried about their skin aging or something like that. However, based on my experience, uh, and also a a friend of mine who's a traditional Indian medicine doctor, the the recommendation from Ayurvedic medicine, which I've become much more interested in over time, because it seems to link, it's almost like Western science is discovering things that lead back to uh, that that science, which is why I've decided I'm just going to start, you know, learning more about Ayurvedic science, because it seems like we're just trying to catch up to what they've had for 5,000 years. Uh, For example, like in the conversation about circadian rhythms, they've known for a long time that time-restricted eating is very important and not eating too late and eating when our metabolism is the strongest, right? So these are some, and there are some uh, actually other really great points we'll get into about when to eat and whatnot. But anyway, regarding sunbathing, so the the recommendation from Ayurveda is that, you know, you want to sunbathe when the sun isn't at its peak strength. Uh, and, and that is a really good recommendation based on what I've studied from the Western scientific perspective as well, because the sun is softer. It's not going to uh, create a sunburn uh, at least as quickly. So it's just much more, let's say, prudent and and safe in some respects to sunbathe when it's, for example, 9 a.m., maybe 10 a.m. in the summer or 2, 3, 4 p.m., maybe 3 or 4 mm-hmm. Uh, you again, you can sunbathe closer to the middle of the day. You just have to be a lot more careful. And then again, it all depends on your skin tone. Uh, you know, if somebody has dark skin, it takes six times as long to make vitamin D uh, compared to the lightest skin tone, right? So, but that also means 
that that darker skin is is much more protective and lighter skin is much more, let's say, translucent to the light. Hence, somebody with really light skin should be very careful with their exposure. Somebody with darker skin should also be careful, but they can tolerate much more uh, and will need more in order to make the same amount of vitamin D, for example, because that the darker skin types are protective in strong sun environments. Lighter skin types offer uh, a sort of protection in their own way when there's very little sun and we still need to absorb more. So that's kind of what to think about when it comes to sunbathing. And that can, you know, get the light on the, on the gut. I had a friend uh, who always had gut issues as well. And she, as soon as she would get the sun on her stomach, she actually felt improvements in her, in her state. I didn't, I don't recall having such immediate personal experiences like that, but she really did feel that. So I thought, wow, maybe it'll happen for more people like that. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. You, you touched on so many great points and, you know, I want to tell my listeners too, you know, I want to get into, you know, how does the sun cause cancer? Should we be wearing sunscreen? Um, and, but before we, we do that, I just wanted to, again, say that's a great analogy when you were talking about the orange versus, you know, and the, the sugar. Yeah. Like, um, to my uh, previous question, as far as, can you get the same light from sun versus you know, indoor lighting? No, because orange sugar is not the same as refined sugar. Yeah, it's still sugar, but they're completely different. One's actually good for you, one's not. Same thing. Light, yeah, it's, it's light, same thing, but light from the sun is completely different than light from a light bulb. I love that uh, analogy that you gave. But while we're on the topic of sunbathing, just real quick, real question, uh, quick question here. Have you ever heard of uh, sunbathing uh, your genitals and how that yeah, can help? Very, you know, I mean, it's a little bit of an odd question. People may be ch chuckling right now, but um, I've actually heard, you know, some great benefits of doing that. And uh, what is your take on that? Yeah, I would say it makes sense, actually, just because uh, especially the perineum, which is kind of like where people stick their legs up and there's all these memes on Instagram of people sunbathing basically their their butt. Um, but it, the perineum is is considered in, let's say, Ayurvedic, well, not even Ayurvedic, but in yogic science, like the, the root chakra, so the base of our energy system. So yeah, theoretically, it, it makes sense to me that you could expose that area to light and it would sort of provide some energy for our uh, energy system. And also there are studies showing that when men at least expose their genitals to red light wavelengths, which are amply present in the sun, it improves, uh, increases testosterone function. So it makes sense that there could be this effect when we're exposed to sunlight, there could be some beneficial effects. And if we consider that, you know, for a lot of history, we would be uh, unclad, you know, naked outdoors. It, it makes sense that there could be some benefits to doing this. I I prefer sunbathing nude myself compared to with clothes. But uh, you know, I always used to think when I learned about uh, sun and its effects, I used to think that everything started going downhill when we started wearing clothes. But again, from a uh, from the perspective of uh, of Ayurveda, based on again a, a friend of mine who's a top Ayurvedic doctor in the world, um, he. I understood that clothes actually, as far as the evolution of human consciousness, are sort of a technology, if you will, in allowing us to operate at a sort of higher energy level, at a higher level of consciousness. 
intellectually and so on philosophically and not at as much of like a sexual like animalistic level which is kind of more of the natural tendency if everybody's just naked um so i actually think there are in some respects more of an advantage to close than i previously thought maybe in podcasts i would share you know five years ago but uh at the same time again if somebody's in their own privacy of their own home or they're on the a nude beach and they can have that uh benefit of sunbathing nude or can can find that i would definitely recommend it for one's overall health and vitality and then the i guess we could just go a step further and say like i would say that when when that person goes and puts clothes on and goes into society somebody who has that practice they'll kind of stick out you know be like people who cultivate not not just from nude sunbathing but people who cultivate their internal energy in that way whether you're naked or you're wearing clothes people can feel your energy field is a bit different okay so no so great great answer to my very abrupt question who i know I was it. a little unexpected so i want to talk a little bit about sunscreen and what's your opinion on sunscreen and does sun actually cause cancer that's such a great question so regarding sunscreen uh you know my opinion is that it makes, as I've learned more and more about the sun, I work with one of the top experts in the world in photobiology, which is the study of how light affects our body. And, and as far as, you know, in the context of product development for my company, Raw. And essentially, one of the things I've learned from him, I, I used to think when I first learned about this, because I followed certain people who were like, more is better all the time, get more sun. Um, but I would, you know, burn myself if I was taking this approach and then have the effects of that. You know, that can cause skin aging, et cetera. And I started to realize, no, 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 more isn't always necessarily better. Um, it's beneficial to get sunlight, but more is not always better. Now, uh, our body has inbuilt innate mechanisms to protect from excess sun exposure. So for example, when we're in the sun, our body, and if we don't cover our eyes with sunglasses, for example, our body gets the signal of the bright light and that stimulates the production of more melanin. And melanin is the body's ultimate natural sunscreen. It's it's the uh, molecule responsible for making us tan. And so melanin is, is critical and it's a natural form of sunscreen. Now we make melanin, again, if we're eating a healthy, let's say whole foods diet, I'm not gonna you know, get into like whether somebody wants to be plant-based or meat-based, whatever. But if you're eating a, a generally healthy, balanced whole foods diet, uh, you know, you're most likely going to have the the necessary precursors for making melanin. Now, to yeah, to go back to the conversation of sunscreen. So, we also have inbuilt protection mechanisms, such as when we get too hot, we had enough light, we go in the shade, right? Like if you look at any animal, like a lion in the Sahara, uh, in the you know savanna in Africa, sitting out, laying out. When it gets too hot, it'll go in the shade. Like it's, it's really simple actually. But humans, when we get too hot or whatever, we, get the, we feel the intensity of the light is too much, we put on sunglasses and then we slather ourselves with sunscreen to keep on cooking ourselves. Like these are just things that, you know, I wish I didn't even have to say anything about it because I think it's so obvious, but it's, you know, I can't, I wouldn't blame anyone because I didn't know about this. I used to be the kid who actually told my friends they all needed to put on sunscreen, ironically. Like I was like, oh guys, we got to cover up. Like I just bought it all, believed it and was like, guys, you got to put on sunscreen too. And I would slather myself up. And 
<laughs> so it's, it's really not good. That's that's a, a disconnect. That's where we can start creating issues for ourselves. Why? Because modern sunscreens are full of all sorts of toxic chemicals, which become more toxic when they're irradi irradiated by ultraviolet light. So ultraviolet light is super high intensity, right? So when you have high intensity, a very powerful light shining on certain chemicals, even harmless chemicals under the influence of ultraviolet light can break apart because there's so much energy. And when they break apart, when chemicals, just in general, when certain chemicals break apart, they're now uh, seeking to find electrons to fill up their outer shells, essentially, that are now missing the electrons that were previously satisfied by the, you know, chemical they were or mo molecular atom they were previously bound to, right? So this is just basic chemistry. And so that creates uh, what we would call free radicals, molecules that are going around basically trying to steal electrons from different parts. And this creates a lot of inflammation and havoc in the body. So that's what we what we do when we put on sunscreen. We're basically putting on chemicals that then become irradiated and then absorb into the bloodstream and create molecular havoc in our in our system. So it's a really bad idea, in my opinion, to wear chemical sunscreen. Now, mineral sunscreen is a different story. If somebody wears mineral sunscreen, which is like 100% non-nano zinc oxide, something like that, where it just goes on your skin, like I put it on my nose when I surf because... I'll be surfing in Bali or Costa Rica where my skin is not meant to be. And no matter how much I've you know, tanned myself, I think with some years, maybe I'll build my tan further and further when I spend time in those places, if I don't leave or if I you know, only leave for short times. But anyway, uh, I'll wear that mineral sunscreen on my nose and my face, sometimes my entire face. Sometimes I'll even wear a hat because I'm not designed for that light. I'm there to surf, right? But I'm aware that I'm in a mismatched environment and there are certain things I have to do. The Balinese guys, they're good, but even them sometimes will wear some uh, stuff on their nose because even in nature, you probably wouldn't be out in the light for that many hours when it's so strong, you'd be in the shade, right? So uh, that I believe is totally acceptable because again, it's not absorbing in your bloodstream. Who wants, like, where does that, all that sunscreen go when you put it on? It's going into your bloodstream. That's exactly where it's going. And so it's it's not uh, it's not ideal to say the least. And then just to touch on your your question about does the sun cause cancer? It's a really great question. I mean, we'd have to touch on like quite a few different details, like what what do we mean by cause? Uh, but but to just make it really simple, the sun causes life, right? Period. So the sun causes life. So cancer is a basically a, an issue. In life, there's some sort of error in the system, or there's we might we might not say an error because there are different theories I've come across that say that cancer and other diseases are actually our body trying to adapt to an environment that's completely changed from what we evolved in. Tons of chemicals, artificial light, etc. Right. Well, so, I, I, sorry, I just wanted to ahead, say, like please. specifically, skin cancer. Because yeah. of course, obviously there's different types of cancer, colon cancer, et cetera. Like I feel like a lot of people just attribute the sun to, to skin cancer particularly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, know, I know, I know, I know that's what you mean. So just, just to touch on that, yes, yeah, skin cancer to clarify. Um, so yeah, but cancer in general is an imbalance or there's, there's something, something is wrong, essentially a malfunction in the system. Something's not at allowing us to function the way we're designed to, right? And so with skin cancer, based on the research that I've gone through, excess exposure to sunlight, 
constant excess exposure could potentially lead to the development of skin cancer. But it, it seems to be the case that the majority of people who have skin cancer actually have gotten a lot less sun uh, than many people who get a lot of sun and don't have skin cancer. What do I mean by that? Like, for example, there are studies on uh, showing that people who work outdoors actually have lower rates of skin cancer than people who work indoors, right? So like, we'd have to think about that for a second. Like, how could that be the case? I have an aunt, a family member who has skin cancer, but she wasn't somebody who went out and sunbathed. And when she did, she'd wear a sunscreen and a hat and cover herself up with a rash guard. So, but she worked in an office all the time. What I'm getting at is that it would make more sense just from a first principles approach that the thing that causes the disruption uh, in our body is the artificial light that we're exposed to. I believe that artificial light is much more likely the cause of skin cancer than sunlight. Again, does anybody know exactly for sure? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that anyone does at this point, but again, the, the evidence is generally clear that excess exposure can be a problem, but that if we are uh, lacking sunlight, we have higher rates of cancer across the board, not just skin cancer. So this has to do with vitamin D. So vitamin D is, is actually synthesized by the sun and vitamin D improves the function of our immune system to fight cancer. Right. So the idea that the sun is causing, for example, skin cancer or any type of cancer is again, kind of looking uh, in the wrong way. Skin cancer wasn't a major issue for, you know, most of the medically recorded, recorded medical history. And it's become a very major issue in the last century. And in the last century, what we've done is actually gone indoors more, wore more sunscreen and more sunglasses and skin cancer rates have risen. So for me, that question and that that reality and more blue light and more blue light and that that reality that that a fact for me is sufficient to essentially discredit or disprove the idea that skin cancer is caused by sun because why would skin cancer be increasing as people are getting less sun right it could be it could be that that when people are so disconnected from the natural environment from sun, and then they go out and cook themselves like the weekend warriors, then maybe the sun could be considered like the trigger, right? But what else? Like they're, they're smoking a vape, you know, like people vape now, like crazy, at least my you know, younger generation, my generation, they're eating absolute junk. So like, you know, we could probably say that the, the lifestyle is uh, the loaded gun. And if the sun were doing anything, maybe it's just pulling the trigger. But even then, I couldn't, I couldn't say for sure about that. So it's something that uh, I look forward to more science coming out on and also, you know, diving into further and further myself as the science evolves. But right now, I think what's fair to say based on the research is that it is absolutely beneficial to go out and sunbathe moderately, not excessively, but moderately. Uh, and, and even even amply, like to get a good amount of sun, but not burn. That's a key thing. I, I would personally uh, not, personally, just speaking for myself, I, I'm not going to give people medical advice, but I'm not concerned based on everything I've learned and the experts I've worked with about skin cancer from the sun, as long as I'm not overdoing it, right? But I would be much more concerned about skin cancer if I was sitting 
uh, even from all the time I spent on my computer, for example, um, you know, this, this is something I'd be much more concerned about for my health than getting out and, and sunbathing 30 minutes or an hour a day at most. Yeah. And I think you really bring up a lot of good points too. And I have a theory too, that perhaps the toxic sunscreens, not the mineral ones, but the toxic sunscreens could actually be causing some issues. And I don't know, I don't want to say cancer, but it could be contributing to the health issues from all of the obesogens and all the toxins that are in these modern day sunscreens, as well as like you had mentioned, the diet. I, I heard that seed oils and all these other things are actually causing our internal sunscreen because we all do have an internal natural repellent, I guess you could say, from the sun, but all these seed oils are really diminishing that. So the modern day life is really degrading our natural ways to protect ourselves from the sun. To your point too, like, yeah, if you go and surf, like you're going to put on some natural mineral sunscreen. And that's, I think like for anyone, if they have like an outdoor, whatever activity, if they go skiing, they should probably do that. But if you're going to go out and get the light, as you mentioned, early morning, afternoon, and it's like five, 10 minutes, not wearing sunscreen and getting that, that light would actually be ideal. Correct. And, and even even 20, 30 or 40 minutes, depending on the person's skin tone, again, depending on the time of day, uh, like if somebody had light skin and it's 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. in the middle of the summer, I'd say be careful uh, or noon. But uh, if they have well tanned skin and it's, you know, 10 or 11 or two or three in the afternoon, yeah, you could probably sunbathe for 20 or 30 minutes on each side or more and not have an issue if somebody's built up their tan. So yeah, these are these are really good conversations, I believe, to have for people to have some context around the sun. For sure. Yeah. And you had mentioned, you know, excess, excess of anything, even if it's a good thing, is not a good thing. Like people can avocados, they're great for you. If you eat 10 avocados in one sitting, eh, it's not going to be so good. You know, you're not going to feel good. So excess of anything, even if it's a good thing, is not a good thing. Now, I also do want to ask. What about those for any tips for people that live in cold climates with little to no sun? You know, do you have any hacks for those people? Yeah, absolutely. There's a study that was done with people with seasonal affective disorder, just going out for a one hour walk in the morning and getting some sunlight uh, during the day when the light's out, of course. And so 29 out of 30 had significant improvements in their seasonal affective disorder condition. And there's uh, studies like this and many more in a great book called The Healing Sun by a guy named Richard Hobday, who's actually interestingly an architect uh, who was fascinated with how, you know, for such a long time, light has been such a key driver in architecture and just started to ask the question, well, why? And then ended up writing a whole book about the many benefits of sunlight. Uh, there are many other great books, and I'll send you a, a list that we could throw in the show notes as uh, recommendations. But essentially, the first thing would just be go outside. Like, it's cold. I get it. But when we sequester ourselves indoors, we're going to feel depressed because we don't have the light energy that's critical for our body to produce the neurotransmitters and hormones that are responsible for making us feel good and alive and awake especially the neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, and so on. Uh, so just go outside, uh, follow the same recommendation to get the morning light. Uh, also, you know, again, just go out for a walk. 
Uh, I think we could look at what the cultures that have lived in the coldest climates have done. Russia, Finland, Sweden, Norway, they use saunas. Banya is the German Russian. And that's a really good thing that anyone can do. So, well, not maybe anyone, because if they don't have one, then it can be hard. But people can make that happen in their life. If the Russians could do it, you know, 500 years ago, then you could do it. You know, you just have to get the wood and build it in your backyard. And if you don't have a backyard, if you live in an apartment, then, well, you have to go to the local sauna in the city and buy a gym membership or whatever. And there's so many different kinds of saunas. In my opinion, the best are the wood burning ones because they're the most natural. Uh, the second best would be uh, Sauna Space is a company that makes these. It's it's actually technically not a sauna. It's incandescent lamp therapy, but they're these incandescent lamps covered with red glass that just dose the body with near infrared light. So you could call them like a near infrared sauna. Those are amazing. Uh, then there's far infrared saunas, or well, actually, then there's the uh, coal, uh, coal, not coal, stone fired saunas. They're called Finnish saunas. Those are cool too. Uh, and even far infrared saunas, they all have slightly different effects. Uh, I'm actually not a sauna expert, but there are uh, there are different effects. Like the heat shock proteins are activated by the heat of the far infrared saunas and the uh, Finnish saunas. Near infrared light is is more of my domain and that's why i recommend the sauna space product which a friend of mine uh owns that company i have no financial interest in it but the sauna space products are phenomenal so people can set that up it takes up very little space in your house you know sweat buckets so you're getting detox heat shock protein activation and then mitochondrial and uh, bioenergetic benefits of near-infrared light which are tremendous like you sit in front of one of those bulbs that he that they make at sauna space for 10 minutes, even just a single bulb, the, the isolated unit they have, or you can get the panel that's like four bulbs that sits in the sauna and makes you sweat. And even just the one bulb just makes you feel amazing. Like, I wish I could travel with one everywhere because it's, I, I, I could, it would just be a lot to carry. Uh, a bit. Yeah, those are, those are great. They're amazing. And I have a sauna in my home. It's an infrared. It's from Salouse Saunas and it, it's just amazing. And I would recommend again, for anyone. And my husband put in a red light in our bathroom. Like he actually, he's an electrician or he does electrical stuff. And so he put that in there as like a, a swap out and a switch. And I just love it. It's so beneficial. Now I, I we're talking about red light here for a second. I want to switch over to blue light because with today's technology, everyone's on a computer, everyone's on their phone, they have their TV, like blue light is literally coming at people from every end. And so I actually read a study that blue light can actually cause acne as well, which is really interesting. What is your take on, on blue light and what does it actually do to us? Yeah. So blue light, you know, just going back to the foundational conversation we started with about the sun, blue light's just one of the wavelengths of the sun's light that passes through to the surface of the earth. So we have uh, the full spectrum of the sun that's emitted, but then only a, a small portion of that actually comes through the Earth's atmosphere. And uh, that goes from ultraviolet to violet to indigo to blue to green to yellow, orange, red, and then near infrared, then far infrared. And that's basically it. Um, and we can see everything from violet to, which is like a really deep blue, it's not purple, uh, but basically violet all the way to red and then we can't see ultraviolet or infrared very much um but anyway mm, yeah 
essentially maybe some people can if they have certain issues with their eyes. And in fact, um, and there's some artists who it's thought that maybe that's why their art was so interesting because they could see uh, like certain animals can see other colors and wavelengths of light that we can't see. Now, blue light is the component of sunlight uh, that is very interesting. There are many facets of blue light that, that we could get into, but blue light, the main one that's worth talking about for the purposes of, of this conversation is that blue light sets our body's circadian rhythm. So basically, uh, blue light changes a lot throughout the day. It makes up a large component of the light that what we perceive as the color blue goes from around about 410 nanometers. Nanometers is the measurement of light wavelengths. Uh, and then up to about 500 nanometers roundabout. And so it's one of the broadest, it covers the broadest amount of the light spectrum of, of visible uh, light that we see. Now, uh, there's different effects of blue light. So the blue light that sets our circadian rhythm is are the wavelengths around 479 nanometers based on the available evidence that we have, which is quite, quite solid. Uh, what that means is that when we're exposed to blue light in the morning, it's actually telling our brain that it's time to wake up and it stimulates the production of cortisol and serotonin and it actually makes us active, right? And then when we make blue light absent, it actually stimulates the secretion of melatonin, the absence of, of light, but blue light in particular, because it's more stimulating for this system, this circadian system through our eye, which works on photoreceptors that are non-visual. So we have photoreceptors that are visual, like rods and cones that allow us to see rods in low light conditions, cones in high, def high, definition, uh, high definition, high resolution, color vision, and bright light conditions. And then these other type of photoreceptors called retinal ganglion cells or intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells that have specific pigments that were discovered in the 90s that, are, that was a huge breakthrough for scientists that are actually the same pigments found in certain frog skin. And they were shocked that they found this in the human eye, but that set our circadian rhythm so that are sensitive to light and speak to the what's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus in the hypothalamus of our brain, which is the part of the brain responsible for controlling metabolism, the hypothalamus, so metabolic activity. So back to sort of our earlier discussion, and that's controlled by the blue lights striking the those cells in the eye, communicating with Again, this part of the hypothalamus called the SCN for short, suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is the master clock of the entire body, the master timekeeper. Right, so blue light controls that whole system. So it's really important that our blue light exposure is dialed in. We get the morning sunlight. But then at night, we're not exposed to tons of blue light because it will disrupt our circadian rhythm. It will disrupt the body's natural production and secretion of melatonin, which is the body's most important antioxidant, anti-aging, anti-cancer molecule. And by, for example, wearing blue light protection glasses in the modern world, which is why I started a company making blue light protection glasses, we can actually have the effect similar to what one might consider like a performance enhancing drug just by blocking the blue light and increasing the body's natural production of melatonin. It's so simple and so effective. And that's why we have now like all the many of the top athletes in the world, the number one, the number one football player in the world. I just learned yesterday actually is is wearing a, like a American football wears raw optics every night. Uh, a friend of mine is a number one soccer player in the world from scoring and everything and voted across the board uh, this year uh, in England. And he also wears our products. And then the number one woman soccer player in the world saw that he was wearing them and wanted to start wearing them. So it's kind of nuts what how it's sort of uh, taking off colored lenses, who would have thought? But because there's so much science behind it and we make you know the highest quality 
most science backed and, and most premium and most attractive uh, product to make it really, really fun and, and easy for people. It's it's been really, really awesome. So blue light, just back to that, to the subject, that's the circadian rhythm side. Now, another thing just worth mentioning briefly, and, and we might want to dive into the, the glasses or something like that, but just to touch on the uh there's a, a component separate from melatonin disruption, which blue light can cause at night, that blue light during the day can actually, from artificial sources, can cause retinal damage. Now, blue light from the sun is, is actually much more ample in higher intensities and proportions than any blue light we're getting from a screen, I should say in intensity. But by proportion, so by the relative amount of blue light, there's actually more blue light in most uh, many LEDs and screens because these have less of the more healing side of the spectrum, which are the red and infrared wavelengths, right? So there's sort of a balancing act uh, in, in light based on the research. So red and near infrared provide more of a sort of biologically supportive, beneficial healing function. Again, red and near infrared, which is why red light therapy and near infrared light therapy has gained so much popularity. Blue light uh, has more of a sort of stimulating effect on our biology. It's, it's very activating and it also in excess can be, can be damaging. Now, if you take blue light and you, and you irradiate the body with high intensities of blue light, it's, it's basically almost like ultraviolet, which is already known that you can easily overdo it, but blue light's very close to ultraviolet, right? So people in the lighting industry and and, in general and in the governments and so on haven't realized how much of an impact high intensity blue light can have because what it does is it gives us bright lights using less electricity for less money. And so they're like, well, let's enrich all the lights with blue and it wakes us up. It stimulates us, right? So the the expert I work with out of Germany on our product development, one of the things he, he comments to me is that essentially what's happening with, with modern lights, even from the beginning of artificial lights, but especially with modern lights, is that employers, um, you know, the people running schools, but even ourselves buying our own lights for our houses, it's like there's something going on he called light doping, like essentially drugging people using certain blue enriched lights because it activates, people just don't know this, but it, it stimulates our body in the way that if you could infuse the air with caffeine and stimulate your employees with caffeine infused air, if that were possible, that's kind of what it's like being under artificial blue and rich lights all the time. And that's really bad because if you constantly had a caffeine, for example, you would burn out. Well, that's actually what artificial light enriched with blue, which is again, screens and modern lights, modern LEDs, that's essentially what it does to us. So we can take back, for example, with the yellow daylight lenses that I'm wearing right now, as I mentioned, I, I optimize my lighting environment, so I don't really need them. I have a software on my screen that reduces the blue light and I have a, a flicker free warm white LED light that I'm uh, using for the purposes of this uh, video, but basically, uh, they these can help people. The glasses can help people take back their, let's say, autonomy, so to speak, from a hormonal perspective and a neurotransmitter perspective. Yeah, and you know, I you are uh, the creator of the of raw optics, which I want to talk about right now. But uh, I do have a question because, of course, yeah. everyone is they're wearing blue blockers now, right? Everyone's aware blue blockers, you know. But your glasses from raw optics they're not, the lenses are not blue, like the typical blue blockers that people will see, or sometimes the blue blockers will even be clear. Um, or maybe they'll have like a blue tint that uh, people are more used to, but your glasses either have a red or orange 
tint. So can you explain why, again, yours are different and are the other blue blockers actually not even effective? So if someone's like, dang, I got these blue blockers, are they not even helping? You know? Yeah, not, not yours, but the the other yeah, ones. I, I, absolutely, I think it's it's a really good question, and I I, I appreciate. I want to um, scrutinize my own products, right? Like I, I'm the harshest critic of my own products constantly to try to make everything perfect. Because if it's not perfect, then I feel it, right? So that's what we've worked on for years. Is and our products from the beginning were already better than basically anything else you could buy, which is why people came to us. Uh, but we we had started when we started six years ago, it was like a custom lens tinting service in my garage. It's, it's grown quite a lot since then, but that, that was really the, the need was the people in the niche health communities who were wearing safety goggles because there were no blue light blocking glasses that like you, 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 you had talked about the clear lenses, so they don't work. And I'll talk about why, but there were none that, that blocked the right wavelength. So there were these safety goggles you could buy on Amazon or whatever that happened to have the orange lenses that actually happen to block the right wavelengths just by coincidence. So people repurposed these for that purpose. Uh, and they had so many sales, they actually updated the name of the product, like blue blocking glasses, this, this company making these, but they were ugly safety goggles. Like the thing that you would see some dude in a construction company or a construction place wearing, or with the guys on the street with the lasers doing all the measurements and stuff uh, so that they could enhance their ability to see those, those wavelengths of that laser. So the reason clear lens blue light blocking glasses don't work is because essentially we have, when you have a clear lens, you have a situation where all of the light that's coming through the one side is passing through the other side. That's what makes it clear or translucent. So when you take out blue light, because blue is a component of any white light source, whether it's a light bulb or the sun, blue wavelengths mix together with all the other colors to make what we see as the color white. Right. So when you remove the blue, you're not going to have white anymore. And the more blue you remove, the the less the less pure white the light source will be. So, for example, when you have a I could do a demonstration right now. I have a, a light that I'm using for, for video purposes. Right. So if I change and this is kind of funny, if I change the color temperature, I'm going to add more blue light. You see, and the more blue light, the colder it gets and the less blue light, the warmer it gets. Right. So that's blue. And that it's, it doesn't really look blue in the sense of the color blue. It's it's what we would call the blue wavelengths because they fall into the range of blue light. So essentially, um, when you remove those blue wavelengths, the color, as you can see with the light and, and for anybody who's not watching the video, which maybe most people aren't, the light when I put more blue becomes much bright, brighter and whiter essentially. And when you take out the blue, it becomes more like a warm yellowish color, like the difference between sun in the early morning versus the midday, right? So same thing with the lens. When you remove the blue, the color becomes more yellowish. The more blue you remove, the more the resulting color appears yellow. And so that's essentially why our lenses are yellow. Now, if you remove all the blue, and then you start diving into the green range, the lens will look more orange. So I would consider this more yellow, our, our daylight lenses. And then our sunset lenses, we've cut not only all the blue, but into the green range. And so they're actually much more, let's call it a red orange is the color that I, I would call it. And the red orange comes from removing the green. Why would we remove the green? Well, because there's limited evidence that in addition to blue light disrupting our body's circadian rhythm, green light can also 
have some effect more than, again, the colors of fire, which are red, orange, and yellow. I also know from personal subjective experience and the experience of many of our customers that this particular hue of the lens, this red-orange color, which again comes from removing the blue and the orange uh, and the green, pardon me, is very relaxing and very effective for people getting tired very quickly. We actually had a partnership with Aura Ring, uh, the maker of the yeah, Aura, the maker of the Aura sleep tracking ring last summer. We had dozens, uh, maybe even hundreds of people who actually left reviews after they got raw optics as part of a free gift for referring a friend to purchase an Aura Ring. And they would actually leave reviews on our website because that's where they came to purchase their product. And now people would say, is it normal that my deep sleep doubled the first night? Or is it normal that my heart rate variability increased immediately? We had one of this uh, this famous woman soccer player I mentioned earlier who literally messaged me like, is my heart rate supposed heart rate variability supposed to be increasing? And this is a, a marker of health for those who aren't familiar. Higher heart rate variability is very good in, in a health context. Not heart rate, but heart rate variability. Uh, it's it's a key indicator of health across you know all all the studies, all the sleep tracking wearables and health tracking wearables. So anyway, and and all you know tests in general that they do. Now, so clear lenses, they're not blocking blue. There may be, now this might sound like a shock, uh, how could they do that? Well, they'll block all of the wavelengths of light up to 420 nanometers. And as I said, blue goes from around 410 up to about 500. So they're blocking a very small chunk of blue light, but happens to not be the chunk of blue light that's produced by LEDs and screen devices. So when I take my light meter, my spectrometer, and shine it up to a bright white uh, computer screen, on like a blank white page or just any page that most of the pages are, you know, white backlight, some are black if you're on dark mode, but say it's white, uh, which is what most people are exposed to with the most blue light, then, and I shine the, put the lens in front of that meter and do the test, the blue light doesn't go away at all. The blue light that comes off of the screen. When I, when I put so, my lens, the blue goes away completely, which is so why. So people that, okay. So people that have the blue light blocking glasses that are blue lenses or clear lenses, they're actually just not effective. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. It's crazy. It's the fact. Yeah, it's quite crazy. In fact, you know, I've thought about it. Like, I don't really think I want to be, I've thought about this. I don't know if we want to try to, you know, like create a, 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 how do I say, like a bit of a campaign against, you know, I don't want to be negative. I, I always want to try to be constructive. And so if somebody asks, I'll tell the truth, right? But uh, do we want to go and, and, and you know, build a whole thing against why these- Bash products? all of the- Yeah, yeah I, I don't really want to do any bashing, right? That's the thing. But I do want to do education because people are basically being taken advantage of and they're spending money. So so yes, we're we're looking more and more at, 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 in fact, we are doing it, but educating more and more about why clear lenses aren't effective. But yeah, I mean, best thing somebody could do is get their money back. And if not, just, you know, throw them away. Um, they're- there's really no no purpose. They they there there's really nothing unless you believe that you need to block the light below 420 nanometers, which is coming off the sun, which could be again useful if you're exposed to high intensities of light. But in general, um, that's when people would wear sunglasses anyway. And also, I'm not the biggest fan of sunglasses because well, most people use them as a crutch because you know their eyes are weak and then they don't want to let their eyes naturally you know th they take off their sunglasses and they're like oh my gosh it's too bright but then their eyes never strengthen and so it's yeah. always too bright right and i had that as a kid i would go out in the summer and be like blinded i couldn't tolerate the light and then 
I just through naturally building up my exposure and I'm not super tan or I don't have like, you know, uh, eyes that are necessarily stronger than anyone else's, but just by starting to expose myself to more light, like I, I adjusted, uh, I am able to spend time out in the summer and not burn. Whereas I remember I'd be in Martha's Vineyard, which is you know an island off the coast of uh, Massachusetts, where I would go in the summer as a kid. And even in an hour of sun at that latitude, high up pretty far north, I would burn. Then I've been in Bali and Costa Rica, which are close to the equator later in my life. Uh, and no problem, like for even hours without burning, uh, depending on the time of day, right? Midday, I would burn, but early mid morning when the sun's still really strong, stronger than it ever is in Martha's Vineyard, I wouldn't burn, right? So, and also same with the sunglasses. So not to say never wear sunglasses, but uh, not just just because you're, you know, don't want your eyes to adjust or because you're uncomfortable. It's good to start building up that exposure, especially in the early morning and late afternoon hours. Yeah. Well, I, I love everything that Raw Optics is doing and that you guys are doing it right. And um, I'll go ahead to and I have them for, for those that uh, are wondering. Uh, you sent them to me quite a while back. And I have the both uh, options, like the ones you can wear in the daytime, the ones you can wear um, like during the night as well. And they truly do make a huge difference. Uh, my sister-in-law also has them. And just a kind of a, a funny story or a little background story. So like when I first dated, uh, first started dating my now husband, uh, I went and visited and um, I, I met my now sister-in-law and she was wearing your glasses. And I, I at the time, I didn't know uh, anything about your company. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, she's really into health and wellness, just like me and you. And um, she was like, yeah, these are like the best glasses. And she was wearing your nighttime ones that, that are more like red orange. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. And so we just started talking and it's just kind of a, a funny uh, story. And now, you know, I'm introduced to it and it kind of goes full circle. So um, wow. that's very, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. So now, you know, uh, we all share that. Um, but anyways, um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, um, for anyone looking to purchase the raw optics, I can put a link in today's show notes and, uh, just a little bit more information as, as far as you, uh, Matt as well. So if anyone wants to connect with Matt or raw optics, I'll do that. Um, thank you again for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, Bethany, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. Looking to build a more robust foundation in your health and well-being? From the producer of Digest This comes one of the most popular alternative health shows on Apple Podcasts, The Dr. Tina Show. Dr. Tina Moore is a naturopathic physician and chiropractor, traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine. The show features exclusive interviews with experts such as Sean Stevenson, Mike Mutzel, 
Mark Groves, and even solo episodes covering metabolic health, pharmaceuticals, chronic diseases, long hauler syndrome, and pain management. Dr. Tina delivers the information in a no-nonsense, real-world style, and she has the science to back it up. The Dr. Tina Show is edgy, entertaining, and informative. Every episode will leave you with a new pearl of health wisdom to expand your knowledge base. When you're empowered, you can do better for yourself, your family, and your community. Resilience is the name of the game, and Dr. Tina is here to guide you on your way. Listen to The Dr. Tina Show today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resident Media.